Welcome to Austin Morris New Zealand Podcasts yet again. And today, as ever, we're in the Palmston North City of the North Island of New Zealand, and we're talking with local philosopher, historian, <laughs> musician, producer, everyman, Mark Patterson. Welcome, Mark. Thanks, Dave. And someone that makes things up, of course. <laughs> of course. Now, you have devised a fairly unique topic for today, Mark, so I would like you to expand on the topic and why you've chosen the unique state of Zealand as your topic. Well, last week we looked, we wondered if New Zealand was just a satellite state of, of America, and I thought maybe we just need to have a look at what, what makes New Zealand unique. So here we are, the unique state of Zealand. Great. Okay, so we're not necessarily doing a straight comparison with America. We're looking at what makes up New Zealand. and Absolutely. Great. Yeah. And yeah. hopefully in a little bit more depth. So we're not just going to talk about Whitakers and Lemon and Pyra. We're going to talk about um, the New Zealand psyche, if you, if you like. Right. And there I was wanting to talk about hokey pokey ice cream. So <laughs> there you have That's it. That's right. And the long drink milkshake. Yeah, no, don't get me started. All right. Well, we will um, go to the serious right right from the, the top. Um, what I would like to talk about first are prison statistics because sure. I think often they reflect what a society is about. Yeah, and there is... Um there's actually a famous quote, isn't there, about about judging a society by how well they look after people? Yeah, well, I, I, to me, that is the measure of a society, that it's easy to, you know, surf the wave and, and to be well off and so forth, mm. but how the underprivileged and, and those at the bottom of the pile fare is mm -hmm. a measure of a society. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got a few stats here, Mark, that I want you to have a look at, um, and they're fairly recent ones. So as of July last year, mm -hmm. 2019, believe it or not, there were nearly 10,000 prisoners in New mm. Zealand. Uh, a lot of them, 35%, uh, were pre-trial detainees. Mm -hmm. um, so, in other words, they didn't have a sufficiently loquacious lawyer or enough money to get them out. That's right, or an available lawyer. Yeah. Um, so that's a lot of people, isn't it? It is. It's, it's the size of a small town, and New Zealand's population is only about 5 million, so it, it does make for a reasonably high rate when you compare other countries. Yeah. And, you know, if we, if we look at the um, wealth or dis distributing the wealth of a society, um, the fairly horrendous costs of keeping one prisoner in jail, 91000 per year. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's quite, it's quite possibly um, money that could be better spent elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. You brought up last week how Norway was an example of a inverted commas civilised society, mm -hmm. yeah. um, a Scandinavian society, and and they certainly stack up pretty well yeah. in in the statistics uh, sure. for prisons. So d that wouldn't surprise you. No, no, it wouldn't. But one of the one of the characteristics, and I think we're probably going to come to it, is that um, the indigenous people in New Zealand make up a, a big proportion of those in, that are in prisons. And I don't think Norway would have um, a similar situation. And that kind of brings us to, the, to one of the unique characteristics of New Zealand, which is the 
um, the Indigenous people, Māori, and what role they play in New Zealand? New Zealand seems to be a fairly unique place in that the Māori people come to mind, I think, when New Zealand is considered abroad, if only mm. for the haka and, and, yeah. and the, the All Blacks. Yeah, and I must say that um, as a part-time rugby watcher, I, I feel quite proud when, when the All Blacks play because we don't have a kind of a 35-second national anthem. We've got our national anthem in Maori, then we've got it in English, and then we've got the haka. And um, what other country does that? South Africa. Right. <laughs> I think. And we, we but, but, but who did it first? <laughs> New Zealand. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, it doesn't um, mean that everything's rosy. Obviously not. It, no. It, it certainly doesn't. But it, 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 does, it means that everything's not terrible. Yes. Mm. Well, it's sort of, it also, it, it does, with, and I'm not looking to be negative here, but it, it sort of, when I watch the haka and, mm. and I see uh, everyone in the crowd being proud and mm. entering into the spirit of it and so forth, um, I sort of think, okay, how many of those people embrace Maori and Maori culture in their everyday lives? That's right. You could, you could come at it from the angle of saying that it is tokenism. And um, I don't think that I do that because I, from from what I understand of the haka, the, you can't pretend to do it. It's not something that you if you if you are leading the haka, it's not putting on an act. It's not learning a script. It is something that comes from inside you. And when the All Blacks do it, um, I don't think they're pretending. And I think that's important. Yeah. No. And, and look, if, if people care to go on YouTube and watch um, a local school, Palmerston North Boys High, mm. do a haka as they welcomed the casket of, of a recently deceased teacher, yeah. uh, they'll see a very impressive yeah. example of cultural unity, I suppose. So if you, if you look at it from a kind of a jaundiced, um, quasi-intellectual viewpoint and say that this, this is not a genuine thing... I think you're doing a disservice to the people that um, that that lead the haka. Mm. Yeah. So, so this this is part of New Zealand, the New Zealand psyche, New Zealand culture. Yeah, it it sure is. And you, you're probably going to ask me a few questions later on that points out the fact that while on the one hand we can embrace the haka, on the other hand we can imprison lots of our indigenous people, and that's a that's a bit of a paradox, I guess. I think I am going to ask you about that, actually, and, and I'd like to preface that by, by pointing out that as recently, and it's not that recent, but as recently as 1960, um, uh, the New Zealand rugby team, the All Blacks, was chosen along racial lines mm. uh, to go to South Africa. Mm. So South Africa said, we can't have uh, black people yeah. in your team. And, and so the New Zealand Rugby Union complied. Yeah. Uh, so this is, you know, in our lifetimes. Yeah. It is, yeah. And 1981 was the big turning point there, wasn't it? And um, uh, uh, Watermark, um, uh, a place, a, a time when New Zealand changed. 
that was a reflection of how much New Zealand had changed, wasn't it? Well, it was. It, it, it brought out that the, there are lots of ways that 1981 um, brought out divides in New Zealand. But um, perhaps there's, there, perhaps we're living in a time like that at the moment. Like in 1981, there was. Um, there were the people that were for the tour saying that sport um, should not be um, interfered with by politics. And it, it went across all sorts of lines, the old and the new, the, um, the traditional and the uh, people with a, a more cosmopolitan viewpoint. And in the end, it, it turned out that New Zealanders were right to say no stop contact with South Africa until they've sorted out their um, apartheid. I actually had the pleasure of attending a super rugby game in Dunedin a few years ago and a South African team was playing the local team, the Highlanders, and I attended with a fellow who had been to the forefront of those 1981 protests and, and he was regarded as a long-haired Mm-hmm. Radical, yep. loud, um, and and I turned to him in the crowd when um, black and white players were embracing each other after mm. a try in the South African team and saying, "You had a lot to do with this. Mm. Your mm. courage and and yep. so forth had a lot to do with this." Yeah, and uh, and as a mark of of how New Zealand is now, that Springbok tour in nineteen eighty one is taught as part of a subject in high school history. Right. So that that's a, a very positive slant on the changing nature of New Zealand society in the 20th and mm. leading into the 21st century. But let's get back to the raw stats sure. and, and deal with a few hard facts. Um, so we've got nearly 10,000 prisoners in New Zealand in 2019. Um, 93% of them are male. Yeah. Um, so we obviously need to help New Zealand males a bit more than we are. Um, and alarmingly, over 50% were Maori, so mm. 51%. When Maori make up what proportion of the population? 16%. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, that is something that New Zealand needs to look at, I think. If, we, if we're going to go into the future and, and be a harmonious society, then... Um, having one sector of society that is unfairly treated or is um, stopped from having access to um, education and all of wealth and longevity, then um, New Zealand won't be a little lost paradise. No. So how does this come about? I mean, we, we, we've obviously we're seeing we're almost at a crossroads where mm. the the culture of New Zealand um, is becoming more equal, as it were, in in recognising Maori culture and Maori yeah. language and yep. and so forth. Um, maybe you you could talk a bit about that in schools for a start off. Well, I actually feel really positive about. Um, race relations in New Zealand. I think that we we don't have the depth of um, difference that some countries have, and we don't we don't have a a, a really um, deep history of division. Now that's not to say that Maori weren't treated badly in the past, and even currently 
sometimes they are. But there are, there are aspects of, of Maori in New Zealand that make us unique. And I'm just going to think of two things that might be slightly trivial. And one is the, one is the fact that as the Maori population grows in New Zealand, the, um, the, the, the amount of people that discover all of a sudden they've got a Maori son-in-law or daughter-in-law increases, and that's basically a good thing. And the second thing is the, the language. I think if you, every country that has its own language is, is proud of it. Periodically, we do hear that Maori language is dying out, but we also see and hear that the Maori language in New Zealand is being used on a day-to-day -day basis by more and more people, something that wasn't happening 40 years ago, I think. Most definitely. <clears throat> as recently as this week, I met an elderly Maori person who um, said that their language had been squashed when she was a child mm. and, and that was par for the course in those days whereas yes that if anything is a sign of a change in New Zealand it is that, that it is very much promoted and that started what with the news on TV and, and a, a Maori uh, introduction I, yeah and I can remember I can't remember how many years ago it was. Thirty years ago, there was a um, there was a, a toll call operator that used to greet um, t t telephone people that telephoned in by saying "kia and there was a bit of a fuss about it. And you wouldn't even blink at that now. And every year, it seems that there are there are more Maori words that come into everyday use. Yes. So just saying "kia might have been radical that long ago, but now um, it's common for people to say marina, um, let's do the mahi, it, the list goes on and on. Yes, yeah, there, there are a lot of Maori words. Mana is almost mm. an international mm. uh, term. Yeah, and, and the, the, con the concepts of, um, of how um, Maori work is becoming more accepted, I think. You can always look around and find times when it hasn't been. For instance, I went on a tram ride in Christchurch and um, the tram conductor was giving us a great history of Christchurch, but it was completely one-sided. From his point of view, there was, there was nobody in Canterbury until the first white settlers arrived. It was a bit disappointing. It's a bit like the New Zealand, the Australian idea of terra nullius. Oh right, <laughs> no, right. no one there, and and that, yeah, that's, that's yes, yes, that's right. Yeah, they, they they arrive and look around and couldn't see anybody, so therefore there was no one. They got the survey pegs and divided <laughs> yeah. up the province. Yeah, well, this guy was a bit like that, but I must say that that kind of that kind of um, ignorance or um, neglect of the real history of New Zealand is more more rare than it used to be. You get the impression that it's being weaned out of New Zealand culture. I mean, I suppose my bias, my expectation is that the older generations uh, are more likely sure. to hold on to those yeah. colonial views. Yeah, yeah, could well be. And um, you find in, in high schools now, if you mispronounce Maori words, 
you get told about it, not necessarily by Maori students, by other students. So I really think there is a, a much greater acceptance of our Indigenous people than there has been before. Yeah, and what about their acceptance of us? Uh, well, they might they might have some quite deep seated mistrust and some deep seated um, unhappiness about their history with colonialists, and that's kind of to be expected. Mm. Um, and if we get back to that that rate of imprisonment, there's there are some theories now that are coming through in psychology that that say that there is such a thing as a um, ancestral trauma the things that Māori have talked about for a long time like the taking away of their land or the squashing of their language um, does have an effect through generations and that in some ways that might explain some of the um, some of the reason for high rates of imprisonment it might be a bit of a long bow, Dave. No, know. no, that that's a fairly subtle point, actually, Mark. Um, because if if you look at the corollary of that, um, that we are all part of our family history, and and without knowing it, we may well be carrying things that have come down through the generations of mm. our family. So mm. why not? Why, mm. why wouldn't it be a, a sort of a, for want of a better term, a, a culture of despair or semi-despair that uh, drives young people and, and obviously young men in, yeah. in particular. I think um, the, the, the rate of imprisonment though might also be an effect of politicians grandstanding for votes. So we've got a general election coming up this year and we've got our MMP system which is reasonably unique to us. And one of the things that's guaranteed to get a proportion of votes is to say we need to get tougher on crime. So just wait, you'll hear it. I've already heard it from, mm. from the leader of the opposition, um, who shall remain nameless on this podcast. <laughs> um, so, yes, so to that degree, I suppose, we are going to find out um, subsequent to this podcast going to air mm. um, whether we're on track as a country. Mm. Um, I think it kind of harks back a little bit to what we talked about last week also, which is that New Zealand doesn't know whether it's Scandinavia or America. And... Um, as far, in, as far as law and order goes, I think we tend to head for the uh, American idea, which is not the best idea. Well, I've got some interesting stats for you there, mm -hmm. um, and so I will give them to you. Um, a 2018 study by an organisation called the Prison Policy Initiative found that if each American state was regarded as a country, mm -hmm. 24 American states would be top of the charts for rates of incarceration in the world. <laughs> yes. and, and heading that dubious list mm. is Oklahoma with, yeah. with a rate of 1,079 per 100,000 of population. And what's the, what's the New Zealand rate, Dave? Yes. Well, the New Zealand rate's not brilliant. Yeah. Um, it's wonderful by comparison, but it's 220 people per 
100,000 population. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody, nobody would ever argue that there were there wasn't evil in the world, and that that um, that some people are just bad. Nobody's ever arguing about 10, that. Ten percent of people in prison is is my rule of thumb as right. someone who's worked in prisons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ir- ir- yeah. irredeemable people. Yes, irredeemable. Ten percent. Yeah, and we just don't, um, as the general public, a lot of people can't understand what it is that is is. A prisoners for is it for um, to to keep those those ten percent of people away from everybody and do you have to have the other ninety percent just to make sure you've got those ten percent or is the role of a prison to um, rehabilitate people or is it to punish people and punishing people does that make them stop doing it I don't know. It doesn't, mm. uh, and and we have a couple of prophets in our own land in that regard. So uh, a former, um, now deceased, um, head of uh, a prison, Celia Lashley, mm-hmm. uh, wrote wrote a book ab- about the realities of, you know, not sending young men to prison. Yeah. Um, and we have a wonderful children's commissioner. Mm-hmm. We do. Yep. Who speaks a lot of wisdom. Yeah, Andrew Beecroft. Is yes, that right? yes. Yeah. 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 So, um, so yeah, let, let's get back to, to some of the unique nature of, of New Zealand, eh, Dave? All right. Well, let's do that. And you touched on uh, the New Zealand electoral system. And, sure. and I think that's worth talking about. The MMP system, which stands for Mixed Member Proportional, and it came into being in 1996 after a referendum. Right. It's, it works both ways. And, and the idea was that it would give um, diverse communities a voice in Parliament. And so um, you can start a political party, you can... Um, stand, and you can get votes, and you can end up in the in Parliament. But it hasn't quite worked out the way that people wanted it to work out. It might be better than the old system, or in some ways it might be worse. So, for instance, the the two main parties in New Zealand, Labour and National, are still the two main parties and account for seventy five percent of the vote. Oh, so right. a little bit more. Okay. And the smaller parties, like the Green Party and New Zealand First, account for barely 5% at electoral time. Right. And so the way that our system works is that when you have a coalition between, for instance, Labour and New Zealand First and the Greens, they have to come up with um, plans that are going to if you look at it a negative way, you'd say appease the Green and the New Zealand First voters. If you look at it in a positive way, you'd say that the Green and New Zealand First voters get a chance to have their say. So is it good? Yeah, it's probably better than the old system. It's certainly given a more diverse parliament than we had before. Yeah. Um, does the tail wag the dog? Well, it depends on the issue. If you agree with the issue, you'd probably say, no, no, not at all. And if you disagreed with the issue, you'd say, yeah, the tail's wagging the dog. To me, the MMP system is probably symbolic of what needs to continue to happen uh, with the social 
uh, environment in New Zealand. In, in that, mm. you know, as a, as a mediator, as a former mediator, um, what I was involved in was a process where people talked seemingly endlessly about all mm. the issues that were between them. Yeah. And there wasn't a necessarily goal A or goal B at the end of it. Yeah. And, and that seems to be the Maori way. Yeah. And if you get a coalition, uh, and we have almost an unholy coalition at the moment, don't we? We do. We've got Labour in the middle, and we've got the Greens on one side, and we've got New Zealand First on the other. So, And then slightly further over to the right, we've got National, who don't quite know where they stand on a lot of things, except to oppose what what the slightly right New Zealand First want and what the um, slightly left Greens want. To my mind, and, and we may have a healthy difference here, um, mm. I I feel that, you know, I would like to see the MMP system work better, and better for me would be the minor parties getting more and more of a say, but I suppose they have to get the votes, don't they? Well, they have to get over 5% of the vote, and that's proved to be quite a stumbling block. Right. Um, during, during the inter-election period, people say that they're going to vote for the Greens because, yeah, we want to save the planet, but when it comes to the election, they don't tend to. And in the inter-election time, people say, no, I'm not going to vote for New Zealand first, but then come election, they do. So New Zealand first can stagger along at a reasonably low um, percentage, but somehow they always pull it out and get over this magic 5%. If you don't get more than 5%, you have to win an electorate seat. And winning an electorate seat is quite hard when there's mm. only 60. But as you describe it, getting 5% of the total vote is pretty difficult as well. That's right, yeah. So th- there are some plans to take it down to 4%, and you can be sure that the um, that the two main parties won't be keen on that no, idea. No, I would be, though, personally. Mm. I, I mm. think that that may have a chance to spread democracy e- even further, yeah. And so I, I don't know if I look across the politicians now in 2020 that they are any more honourable than they were in 1980. OK. Um, there were rat bags then and there are rat bags now. Has the proportion changed? Hmm, maybe. Right. Well, we're talking about politicians, so let's talk about our number one politician. Sure. Jacinda Ardern. Yep. Absolutely uh, unique, isn't she? Yes. Yeah, she has She has charisma and substance. Yeah. And, and such that um, some, people, some people in New Zealand kind of don't like that. Let's get it, let's get it clear. She is completely loved by New Zealand. Yes. But there is a minority of people that that think she's got above herself a little bit. Right. And New Zealand New Zealand character is great at that. If anybody gets too important, we tend to knock them down because we love being egalitarian. She's not exactly strutting the international stage, though. I mean, it's like the international community has embraced her, haven't they? <laughs> yeah, that's right. And uh, you just have to see that photo of her uh, wearing um, a Muslim headscarf, um, being um, uh, imposed on a wall somewhere. Was it Dubai, perhaps? 
to, to see what a star oh, right. she is. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, so she has a lot of mana. Mm, she does, and, and that's the, right. Internationally. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And, and she has a baby, and the uh, baby's middle name was given to her by Maori. So she, she has um, mana across... Across the um, parts of New Zealand, I think. Right, and of yeah. course we have that dreadful uh, mass shooting in Christchurch mm. that um, unwittingly and unwillingly propelled Jacinda Ardern into international yeah. position, yeah. and New Zealand's response to that, which again maybe is a statement about the New Zealand character. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think looking at our previous Prime Ministers, there would be anyone that would have handled that so well. I'm a little bit biased. Helen Clark possibly would have. Right. But certainly on the other side, I, I can't think of anybody that would have handled that as well as Jacinda did. Yeah. And and the uh, lockdown, the uh, buyback of weapons, mm. um, you would see that as a very swift response and that it happened within about two weeks? Yeah, that was great. It was really great to see. Yeah, yeah I mean, if we want yeah. to make uh, the comparison with America, uh, there's a, yep. the, the Rifle Association, who I gather have been trying to infiltrate New Zealand. Yeah, I, I suppose there was a little bit of um, there was there's a little bit of a rather um, halting gun lobby movement in New Zealand, and let's hope it doesn't that doesn't grow anymore. The fact that we had automatic weapons in New Zealand was more um, a, an accident than a definite decision to say, yes, let's have automatic weapons here. I suspect that the um, the people that regulated them were asleep at the wheel rather than actually driving us into that direction. Right, yes. And it's just ludicrous to think that anybody needs an automatic weapon for anything. Yeah. I mean, hunting and so forth is part of the New Zealand psyche. I mean, New Zealand mm. is, is a largely urbanised country, mm. yet there is very much a strand of people who, um, you know, used to at least make their living by shooting deer or yeah. pigs or... Yeah, and they don't need automatic weapons. No, no, <laughs> so no. Not, not of the type that have been banned. No. So, um, yeah, there's... A, there's there, I was pleased to see people handing their weapons in. Good. It's great. 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 Mm. Yeah. All right. Now, this t- takes us to um, this sort of carefree, informal nature of New Zealand culture. Um, and I've sort of um, noted a few things about uh, what Kiwis do. In the extreme. Okay. Um, and, and it seems to me that that's as much a statement about the New Zealand character as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm on each day. Okay. <laughs> well, leading on from that sort of fellow who goes out in the bush mm-hmm. and, and packs a packed lunch for a few days and takes his weapon with him and shoots mm. a few deer and so forth. Uh, and we've got a film about that too, the 
Yeah, the hunt for the wilder people. Yes, yeah. yeah. So, so people again internationally can get the flavour of that part yeah. of New Zealand. Um, but hand in hand and leading on from that, uh, with maybe an urban tinge to it, we've got bungee jumping. Yep, that's right. That, that was a New Zealand invention, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So this is people throwing themselves off a great height with just a cord attached to their yeah. ankles. Yeah. Classic, classic part of New Zealand tourist adventure tourism, isn't it? Yes. Mm. Yeah. Um, and that goes along with uh, volcano watching. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, rapids, um, speed boating yep. down the down the rapids, and um, yeah, um, go right taking a bus trip on the on the beach. Yep. As, pa- right. as part of your tour. Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it, that we, we live in this time when there's more and more health and safety rules, but it doesn't seem to have stopped ordinary accidents from happening. And part of part of New Zealand is, is that uh, our interaction with nature and our interaction with wild nature, sometimes wild nature bites us back. Hmm. And we respond, I suppose, um, but we're not fearful. No. Um, the, I think the increasingly urbanised part of New Zealand might be. Right. Yeah. I, I suspect there are people that never go further than the mall down the road. Yeah, and I suppose that's, you know, heading towards a conclusion. I mean, New Zealand is similar to lots of places, isn't it, with malls and shopping and built-up urban areas mm-hmm. and similar designs of houses and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So how, how do we, in the 21st century, um, maintain and build on a unique New Zealand culture? Uh, that's a that's a good that's a good closing question. Oh, I saved the good wine till last. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you build a culture? Can you engineer a culture? Can you can you make people be something that they're not? And there's a there's one of my favourite quotes comes from an Indian um, playwright called Jacob Rajan, and his play was about a, a dairy owner that came from India, and his wife was bemoaning the fact she went out onto the street and she said there's no one here and that kind of sums up New Zealand (laughs) (laughs) we're not a high density um, place we've got hardly any high density housing just starting to be happening a little bit in Auckland and Christchurch but overall we've got a lot of space and very few people and that culture that determines our culture Great. Well, I think on that note, Mark, we might conclude our discussion today. Yep, it's great. Thank you.